Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Science Faction. The only show where a scientist, a comedian, and a comedian scientist come together to discuss science. Comedically. Hello, and welcome to Science Faction 603. Science Faction, family trees and smelling your touch. This sounds like the worst Berenstein Bears book I've ever. This, this sounds like one of the ones that like was recalled by the publisher. Like you wrote this on a, on a coke and sex addiction binge, didn't you, Mister and Mrs. Berenstein? It's pronounced Mandela. <laughs> no, Nelson Mandela died during a Berenstein Bears book. He died because of a That's Berenstein myth, right? Bears book. Yeah, it was like before the ring, <laughs> and you had to watch a video. Did the Berenstein Bears tackle apartheid. <laughs> <laughs> well, few people realize how sympathetic to Rhodesia the Berenstein Bears were. <laughs> <laughs> the Berenstein Bears, they don't say it, but they were Afrikaners. <laughs> you can't hear it, but in the, in the, they talk like this. In the time. Let's just say they were polar bears. <laughs> Listen, we're big fans of Charlie Steering. Charlie Steering and Apartheid are both products of South Africa, but that's not to say that they should be compared in any way. Oh, and speaking of the South African you'd like to fuck even more than Oscar Pistorius. Nelson Mandela. <laughs> I, of course, am your host, comedian archaeologist Robert Timothy. With me, as always, is, Mr. K- is my comedian, Mr. Damien Ricardo. Damien, how are you doing this afternoon? I am doing wonderfully. Um, now that I'm all horny and thinking about Nelson Mandela, I think the show can, can get started. Nelson Mandela was recognized for his diplomacy, Mm-hmm. For his patience, for his uh, for his overthrowing of a tyrannical government that mm-hmm. didn't give him rights, but nobody gave him credit for being thick as fuck, boy. Yeah, there was a lot of talk about uh, how great he was at civil rights, and not nearly enough talk about how he kind of looks like Morgan Freeman. <laughs> yeah, nobody ever mentioned that. Nobody ever said, "Hey, Morgan, you should play Nelson Mandela," and then do it like three movies. <laughs> didn't he talk like this? Like I'm trying, like like almost like a Werner Herzog. Like I'm trying to <laughs> trying to remember Nelson Mandela, Nelson Mandela's voice, or is the Mandela effect where I imagine Werner Herzog as Nelson Mandela? No, part of the Mandela effect is the fact that Nelson Mandela is actually Werner Herzog. <laughs> That's wow! What a prestige! I believe in nothing. <laughs> Oh, dear. And thank you to all of our Patreons. If you guys are interested in getting another science fact every single week. I'm, out, I'm, I'm interrupting the transmission here. What? Hold on. This is this is a wartime communique. I'm, I'm busting in here. Right? Mr. Timothy, listen, this is a wartime. I'm, I'm broadcasting from Ukraine. You got Alex Jones here. This is Alex Jones. Alex, Alex, how'd you get into Ukraine? It's a, it's a battle zone right now. I don't I don't even know how you would physically get yourself in there. I want to be honest with you. I, I, I had a lot of chili last night. I woke up, turned down. I called Putin, asked him to, to maybe settle some of my debts, you know, in alimony and court. Turns out that guy's not doing too well either. He said I could work off my debt, though, and offered to paratroop me into Ukraine and try to destabilize the government with craziness. He dumped me with two of those tank parachutes that they put on, like, <laughs> Abrams before they push him out of a C-130? I still feel like a like a like a like a barrel full of stones. <laughs> it's because I cut them up beforehand because I think parachutes are a conspiracy. <laughs> like, oh, you know what? Uh, what if I were to cut some origami in these parachutes a bit? I'd, but I'd fly. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Gravity was put here by Jesus Christ, and if you are defying it, then you are defying Him. I'm a spiritual man, and I'm, but I think I might be immortal because after I fell, uh, after I after I cut 
up the parachute mid-flight into Origali. I, I didn't seem to be falling until I looked down. And then I fell really fast. I, and I landed in eastern Ukraine and ended up leaving an Alex Jones-shaped uh, crater <laughs> about five feet down. It's shockingly common. I, I've actually left these craters in at least 14 United States. Yeah, <laughs> because I've been kicked out of many flats mid-flight by U.S. air marshals or jumped out of a plane mid-flight to avoid the wrath of an air marshal. Uh, in other yeah, I've been dumped mid into Ukraine to try to work off some debt. I'm doing like an inglorious bastards type thing, working behind enemy lines. I got one of your Patreons hostage here with me, and if uh, if you want to get him back, if you want to get Daniel Alonzo back, science faction, then I'm afraid I'm going to need you to pay my court fees. Uh, my, my alimony is running way behind me. <laughs> my kids got to eat. That's not even accounting for all the, the civil suits regarding Alex Jones-shaped holes around different infrastructure around the United States. <laughs> oh, man, I own this. Uh, this is one Ukrainian farmer is making, uh, making me milk all his cows and making me make IUDs. I'm sorry, IEDs and IUDs. For... <laughs> <laughs> be, by the way, side note, what a great crafts project because really all you need is like a little copper tea. So like if you gave a, a three-year-old some beads and some copper wiring, like you could really, you could get a nice crafts assembly line of IUDs going on. Yeah, matter of fact, I didn't even get to, to do my propaganda. Me and Daniel Alonzo had to make spend all day making IEDs and IUDs yesterday. Let me just say, no tank has gotten pregnant, but my wife is... <laughs> oh, God. Oh, no. Yeah, wouldn't it be great if you made an IUD IED, and as you were driving by, it would explode, expelling IUDs into every person nearby, and thereby sterilizing right. an entire generation of soldiers. That's right. You know, that's the type of thing I was talking about. Like that's, I, like, I was like, hey, you know, if we're gonna if we're gonna sit here and, and, and protest abortion clinics, what we should be doing is 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 have some, some, some steal from some of our ISIS and uh, Taliban tactics and use the IUD IED. You send a teenage pregnant woman who's been blessed by a church. I'm sorry, I'm giving away too many tactics about vanilla ISIS here. <laughs> Oh, uh, dear. Hey, well, tell me, how's uh, how's Daniel doing? Because we, uh, you know, he's a Patreon here, so we appreciate him. I hope you're not, I hope you're treating him well. No, I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. It's the first time that Stockholm Syndrome has happened, but in the case where the kidnapper is mm. falling in love with the kidnappy. Like, I'm going to be honest with you. He's, he's uh, like, I think I bargained for more than I could chew, man. He's playing mind games with me every 10 seconds. I, truth be told, I, I was going. I think he was the one who made me switch up the IEDs and IUDs. Right now, there's a there's a tank getting pregnant right now, and Vladimir Putin ain't happy. And I tell you what, old Alex Jones is going to pay for it. But you know what? God damn it, Daniel, you got these beautiful eyes that I just can't. I just get lost in. Daniel, are you polluted water being released into nature because you're turning this frog super gay? <laughs> damn it! I talk in my sleep. What I say again? <laughs> Well, Alex, thank you for your war correspondence and your appreciation. Let's just leave this war. Just run, run, run west. Let's do an Edward Snowden, big guy. You and me in a Guatemalan embassy. Come on, Daniel. Let's run. Vladimir can't find us. My alimony and judges can't find us. Uh, I'm getting down on one knee, Daniel. This is this is an audio medium, so I'm, I'm narrating. I'm going to present you with this bowl of chili. Will you make me the happiest crazy man on the face of the planet, Daniel? Also, I'm going to need, like, a lot of help getting up. Oh, God, it kicked me in the face. Now it's running out the window. Daniel, no, don't. Go find Klitschko and get me an autograph. 
All right. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Daniel. And if you want to be like Daniel, go ahead and check out our Patreon. You can look at Robert Timothy on Patreon. But for now, let's move right on to science articles. From molecules to particles, this is Science Articles. Oh, God, the Vakushka brothers kicked in the door and have hung me up with my arms and they're working me like a heavy bag. <laughs> this isn't this is that bad. I'm immortal. Oh, God. Article number one, family trees and why they're important. A twofer. You know, I, I'm not a big ASMR guy, and I'm not, like, a big, like, meditation guy, but, like, if there was just a background noise of Alex Jones being worked over, just, oh, I could go to sleep to that. I could I could come to that. <laughs> That's going to be your bumper sticker, by the way. I could come to that. The Venn diagram of things you could come and sleep to? <laughs> Oh, dear. So I'm going to do this science article a little different because it's actually two independent science articles published this week in different journals by different groups that tell a broader story. So the first article is going to tell you about a really cool new tool that's been created. And the second article is going to tell you why that tool is so cool in the first place via what a different group was able to discover using something similar. So the first article. If you want the too long didn't read, uh, Bobby got a table saw today and he's just been like a fucking autistic child about this so we all got to hear about his new table saw so first article researchers at oxford have created the largest ever human family tree by creating the 12 most fuckable men alive <laughs> and a time machine <laughs> so the study integrated data on modern and ancient human genomes from eight different databases and included a total of 3,609 individual genome sequences from 215 populations. The ancient genomes included samples found across the world with ages ranging from thousands to over 100,000 years. The algorithm predicted where common ancestors must be present in the evolutionary trees to explain the, the pattern of genetic variation. The resulting network contained almost 27 million ancestors. So basically, they're putting together a huge family tree. Now, there's some interesting stuff to this family tree. Unlike any family trees done only a few years ago, these combine both modern genomes and ancient genomes. And we've talked a lot about why ancient genomics is so important, not least of which is because the modern genome is so kind of like molded by what has happened in the last few thousand years that it basically not quite ignores but comes pretty close to ignoring like a hundred thousand years of human evolution and moving about and all that stuff so looking back if we really want to get the full picture we kind of need to see the ancient genomes because there have been migrations since then that have essentially covered over my example to this would be if you were trying to figure out what was going on in the americas two thousand years ago and the way you did that was by sampling people in the Americas now, you're going to get a pretty fucked up view of what was going on because the vast majority of people who live in the Americas now come from a groups of people who did not come from North or South America. You might think the Vikings, it's just genetics. You'd be like, oh, the Vikings discovered California because there's yes. a lot of white DNA. There's a lot of white blonde DNA in California right now. Holy shit. That means that America, California specifically at some point, was in the running for the world's strongest man competition. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. So Scandinavians. 
So for that exact reason, that kind of stuff happens everywhere. Like if you look at the people who are in Germany right now, they are not the people who are in Germany. Heck, if you look at almost anybody in Asia, they are not the people there a thousand years ago because fucking Genghis Khan fucked that shit up and who he didn't kill, he mixed up like a weird casserole in terms of, uh, you know, Asia. And so like whoever you're going to look at, your modern genomes aren't going to equate. So one of the things is to integrate ancient and modern genomes. Question. Yeah. Really, would that work for like civilizations that have really been there for a long time? I know you've just mentioned- Sure. Asia, but I mean, China has been there for a very long time. And, you know, even today, they have a much more closed off society than, than we do. You know, you're, you're, there's been less immigration to China as there has been, you know, maybe the new world. Yes. But if you want to, once you go back a few thousand years, it's totally different. So when you think of China, for the most part, you're thinking of Han Chinese, which is a single ethnic group. That ethnic group only came into existence a few thousand years ago. So, like, who you think of as Chinese is not who was the majority of people living in China even 10,000 years ago. It was the Vikings again, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. So that part is interesting. They also did some really interesting things with basically big data sets. When you're talking about this, you're talking about a tremendous amount of information. In fact, much of this work was done not in genetics, but in, in the field of you know big data and data computation. And they found a way to condense these massive amounts of information and link them so that you could see the genetic relatedness of people on a genomic level by estimating kind of what genes the next generation is going to inherit and then linking to the ones on top and blah, 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 blah. Long story short, it is a gigantic feat that is really, really cool because if this gets good enough and this type of thing gets good enough, this is the reason I'm so excited about anytime we hear about ancient DNA articles. If this gets good enough, this has the potential to really tell us literally the history of all humankind. Meaning, here is where this group came from and here's where it migrated in and this one person from this one group is actually a mixture of this guy and this other guy and all this stuff. All of that is a story that is told in our DNA and it's one that, given the right data points, the right ancient DNA samples, right everything, we can unravel and tell that story. We can tell the story of groups of human beings, entire human populations who died out 10,000 years ago and have never seen the Earth since then. We could tell their long dead story through genetics. We can tell our own histories and where we all came from and, and the complex and really interesting human story that led to each individual person. Start, start calling out every culture now for all the genocides that they've created. No more. This is a cold case file now more than anything. But you're also going to get a whole lot of people who fucked around on their partner. Because the one thing genetics is, is if you think about it, it's a study of cheating. Like we are finding more and more with Ancestry.com and 23andMe that people are finding out frequently that they are not their their father's child because of a like over-the-counter DNA test. And then they have to have the uh, what happened mom talk at some point. If you cheat, whatever, uh, I'm, I don't. I, I am happily married, and I live in a. I'm fortunate enough that I grow up in a generation where, like, I didn't have to get married. I chose this. Yeah. You know, I I could leave my wife whenever I want. I, I don't. I'm not pressured to be with somebody I don't want to. So I feel like in our generation, you know, cheating will never stop, but it's less of a thing. I think, like, for past generations, though, you just got away with it. Like, yeah. If you didn't get caught right in the moment, like you made it 30 years, like, hey, I, with the way I drink and the way I smoke, 30 years from now, <laughs> that is not guaranteed. There was like a thing where it didn't even matter if it was 30 years. There was like a thing where it's like you used to be able to get caught balls deep in a secretary and be like, eh, I've been overworked. Dude, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I come from a Latin culture and, and I'm I'm glad that, you know, we, Bobby, you and I have friends in Mexico and, sure. and, and whatnot. And I'm glad that things are changing over there. But yeah, for a long time, that was, you know, hey, yeah, you, you had a mistress. You don't talk about it. You don't rub it. You don't rub it in her face. You don't rub <laughs> yeah. it in your wife's face. 
So peek behind the curtains. Uh, at one point, me and Damien, our friend, who is, uh, when I say Mexican, I don't mean like he's Mexican. He's like from Mexico. He's a Mexican citizen. Uh, he lives in TJ. Travels to the United States to watch yeah. us do comedy. Yeah. He came to, to come see Damien do comedy. And the, gir- the woman that he brought was not his wife. And we all know this. Yeah. <laughs> a friend of ours' mom was there. And she was very incensed. And she was, uh, she was saying, I can't believe he would bring another woman who's not his wife. And we just all, everybody said the same thing, which was, it's just a different culture. <laughs> it got her so mad. She was so mad. <laughs> it was a bold move for a for a Protestant wasp. I agree. Uh, that's. But for a Mexican Catholic. <laughs> I don't know. We all grew up in Southern San Diego. And so like, even if you're as white as me, like Mexico is just kind of part of your culture. And I grew up with a lot of like friends, dads who weren't so like subtly cheating. And it was just kind of a thing. Yeah. Or or like in my family, like where people, as far as I know, like I'm not super close with my family. My family has a ton of dirty, dark secrets. But yeah, there was a lot of like, uh, like the attitudes of men, kind of just the way they talk to their kids, like, yeah. eh, it's just your wife. Don't worry. It's you don't have fine. to be, you don't, you don't have to love her or be attracted to her or anything. That's just a role that's filled. It's like an acting role. Your mistress. Now that's where it's at. Now that's, you want to be picky on that one. I still, re- I, I still, I'll remember this to the day I die. I was talking to a buddy of mine and I was talking to him about, and we were probably like 12, about when he found out his dad had a mistress. And his dad's response to him, another Latin father, his dad's response to him was, just because I bought a house doesn't mean I'm not allowed in a hotel. <laughs> I've heard the, I've heard the, uh, just because I have dinner at home doesn't mean I can't look at the menu. I'm like, dude, what? Why are you telling me? Well, looking at this? the menu doesn't mean you're cheating. That's the whole point. You're, you are I'm allowed to look at the menu. I'm the way home. I'm ruining my dinner. <laughs> Anyway, so that was uh, the first story. The first story was the building of the biggest ever human family tree, a really, really neat one, too. The second part is what might happen when that family tree starts getting utilized. And this is why it's so exciting to people like me. And this is a, a separate team. This is a team out of Harvard. And they looked at the ancient DNA profiles in ancient Africa. And they put together kind of a genetic family tree of just ancient DNA from Africa. And what they found was super interesting. Now, to start off, you might be asking, well, kind of the question Damien was asking before, do we really need ancient DNA? Like, can't, if you're in Africa, you're in the origin space of all human beings. Can't you just wander around, find a bunch of ancient DNA and living people and test them that way? And the answer is no, because of colonialization. Because colonialization completely changed the genetic makeup of Africa. Our British fans, like they're they they were like listening. Oh, this is a lovely science article, and then all of a sudden, the 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 shame, their buttholes <laughs> tightened up, the monocle hit the ground. Oh dear, that again. It must we always bring up colonialization? Sure, yes, we profited off of the lives of people we didn't even think were people. But I mean, that was almost seventy years ago. Well, Damien, you've made the same mistake I think most of our listeners would make because when I say colonialization, you are probably thinking about the European colonialization that happened about 500 some odd years ago in parts of Africa. And that uh, that also had very serious effects on it. But no, what I am talking about is an event that had much more serious and much more broad effects on the on Africa, which was the colonialization of Africa two to three thousand years ago. Oh, yes, I'm sorry for getting defensive, old chap, but uh, people have been trying to loot our museum from things we looted from them right and proper. 
Now, when we're talking about that, we're talking about something that's also referred to as the Bantu migration. And it is basically one of the largest DNA shifts in the history of humankind. And that is where certain likely farmer or pastoral groups from Western Africa, two to 3,000 years ago, known as the Bantu, basically moved around spreading genetics, language, and culture east and south through most of sub-Saharan Africa. And that Bantu migration basically gave rise to almost all of the living groups in Africa. Now, there are some groups that weren't part of that, that were there before that, the San Bushmen, some of the Congolese pygmies, those kind of groups. But the Bantu migration had such a significant impact on African DNA that that small group of like farmer pastoralists from Western Africa two to 3,000 years ago essentially wiped out and cleared the slate of genetics in most of Africa, leaving it to be just the results of the Bantu migration. So nobody, nobody, uh, none of those farmers stopped to bang on the side of the road, trade some, trade some, some of their wares. No, there undoubtedly was mixing in, but it's just when you, when you have, first of all, anytime you have a big group like that coming in, the genetics usually overwhelm the older groups. But yeah, though it's not like they wiped everybody out and didn't mate in. It's that even if that little bit of mating in came in, there's so much Bantu in there spread basically all through Af Africa that if you just looked, you'd be like, wow, all of Africa came from one spot in Cameroon 3000 years ago. You see, like, like there, on one hand, I'm like, yeah, of course you're not going to be able to find the genetics of, like, one group of people over. But on the other hand, we know that, like, we can trace three bangings of, of Neanderthals into our genome. Yeah. Despite all the vast amount of human. Like, when you're talking about how much human semen versus how much Neanderthal semen has been, has been used in, in reproduction, the ratio is off the charts. But yet we can still tell. Yeah, you just gave me a great idea for a Neanderthal pickup line, which is like, uh, hey, baby, I'll bang you so hard they'll still be talking about it 40,000 years from now. <laughs> You'll be bull-legged as me when I'm done. <laughs> no, really, I'm. I, it looks like I have rickets. I'm a Neanderthal. This is terrible. I'm going to bang you so hard there will be multiple scholastic articles about whether or not we exist in the same species. <laughs> Our child will not be cute. <laughs> I will bang you so hard that our descendants will wipe out megafauna across this planet. We will create Armenia. <laughs> Armenians, keep taking it on the chin. So what did these researchers from Harvard find when they looked at all these DNA profiles? They found something super interesting. And this is what I'm talking about. This is why I want to include these two stories. Because this tells you the power of what these family trees can do. Because when they looked at these DNA profiles from ancient Africa, they found a story that told us how ancient Africans lived and one that we did not know. And it is fucking amazing. Which is that if you go back to about 50,000 years ago in Africa, starting around 15,000 years ago, basically South, East, and West Africa are one continuous area, and people aren't living segmented lives in one place, or if they are, they're not everybody is. These bands are moving throughout Africa. That means that these hunter-gatherer tribal groups aren't staying in some allotted place of land, which is what we've just always assumed they did. That's what modern hunter-gatherers do. 
Any band that tours like that, I got massive respect for, broski. These groups seem to move all throughout sub-Saharan Africa, which is huge. It's gigantic. It's like it's fucking Canada and the U.S. put together. This is a gigantic place. And they are just moving around throughout that, thereby mating with everybody. So basically, from 50,000 years to 20,000 years ago in Africa, it didn't ma- matter if you were in East Africa, South Africa, West Africa. The, the human genetics were basically the same. That's crazy. It meant that you were likely to be mating with somebody who was born thousands of miles away from you in hunter-gatherer times, and you had no permanent home if you were one of these groups. You would just constantly meander and maybe chase herds or do something else, but you would just constantly wander throughout the terrain, and so your genes were spread out all through Africa. And so from 20,000 years ago to 50,000 years ago, there's a 30,000-year trend of essentially Africa being one giant fuckfest melting pot thing where they were all just you know breeding and, and, and living in the same areas. Just absolutely stunning. And then 20,000 years ago, that suddenly stops. This is really interesting, and we think it might have to do with climate shifts that made it so that at one point, that that area, sub-Saharan Africa, was just basically one big forest, like one big jungle. Ever you just wander around there, it's all the same. As those areas, the climate started to change and those areas started to have less resources and spread out a little bit, all of a sudden, those same hunter-gatherers became sedentary and stayed in kind of local areas and then became genetically isolated from those other groups in Africa. So what we see is genetic isolation in Africa, we think of as an ancient thing. Oh, of course, it's always isolated. That's uh, that's how original groups are. They go off someplace and they get isolated. In this case, there were 30,000 years of continual mating between all groups before we saw genetic isolation in sub-Saharan Africa. Fucking amazing. Yeah, yeah, I gotta reevaluate my list. Now, like, when I think of, like, great tours that that progressed mankind and thus aided in the spreading of genetic material, I gotta drop Twisted Sister in 82 down to number two and the band two 3,000 years ago up to number one. Seems like a tour I wouldn't have wanted to miss. So this is a really interesting round trip circle if you look at both of these two articles in terms of the potential for integrated modern and ancient genetic family trees that we saw in the second article to kind of tell us the history of long forgotten time. I mean, we would have never known this about our our African ancestors. This is so interesting. But that it also tells us what these big family trees can actually do and what genetic dead ends we might unearth after tens of thousands of years of them no longer being around or what interesting human tales will emerge from these larger historical trends like finding out that all of sub-Saharan Africa was one big communal fucking swinger fest 20 to 50,000 years ago. All of this stuff is super interesting and it, it clues us into our history. Yeah, I mean, now that you're basically describing Africa as like as America circa the 1970s, yeah. I, was coke was cocaine around then? Late 70s, I know, yeah. Like AIDS wasn't, but it was. We just didn't know about it. Oh, well that's yeah, I'm reevaluating my uh I'm reevaluating my uh my time travel bucket list. Yeah. Which is a thing everybody has. <laughs> All right, article number two, Gene touched, Gene smelled. It's, it sounds like like a kid from Willy Wonka the chocolate factory, like who is like whose story was too dark <laughs> that his it was cut. No, the Upaloopas, we don't sing about that one. No. We uh we just we just hope, hope that one gets buried in the press. Oh, dear. Gene Wilder, no. So this is an interesting article linking a gene known to be involved in the human perception of touch and 
the ability to smell. So I'm going to give you the whole story, which is itself an interesting article, and then I'm going to tell you a completely unrelated thing at the end, which is why I think this is interesting and important and why I wanted to bring this story up. So what is the story? These researchers were looking at a gene involved in touch called MEC2, M-E-C-2. And they were, in this case, looking at invertebrates, they were looking at worms and stuff, uh, but this gene is also present in humans. They found that when a different gene called MEC8 was turned on, then that MEC2 produced the normal neurons for the touch sensation, which we already knew it was responsible for. We actually were looking at this to target it for potential painkillers and other things. But when the MEC8 was then turned off, that same MEC2 gene produced isoforms for smell instead of touch, which became part of the smell sensation of this particular creature. And the idea is that it might be part of our own. So the same gene that codes for part of our touch system might also code for part of our smell system and by altering a different controlling gene, our body can decide when to turn one on and turn one off, thereby allowing us to use that one MEC2 gene to be able to produce two different things that we need to make. Imagine, like, uh, Bobby, you're uh, an elite-level wrestler, Uh and I curse you with synesthesia, so now you can smell with your hands. Every time you grab a sweaty junk in a fucking wrestling match... You don't actually smell with your hands, though. It's just the perception is crossed. Not after Professor X fucking messes with your genome. (laughs) Smell hands. So this is interesting for many reasons. First and foremost, because it tells us something about how the world works, which is always interesting that we didn't previously know. But also, it might lead to treatments or cures for diseases impacting touch or smell. That could be painkillers, or it might be smell loss from something like COVID, if this happens to be the proteins that are that are involved. But here's my reason for bringing this up. This is something different, which is a topic sometimes we've brought up called Evo Devo, Evolutionary Development Biology. It's called by a couple of That's an names. album. That's that's an album. That's not a. That's that's, that's Devo's comeback. And and evolutionary psychology and if you a couple of the other things that are that are in this field, it doesn't mean that those fields of study are invalid on their face, but it means that they make a lot of assumptions that might not always be true. And so, a lot of times you'll see people in Evo Devo or, or evolutionary biology or something saying, "Well, look, uh, we can see that this group of people has this quality, and therefore it must mean that that was in response to this, you know, uh, this particular." thing in the environment. We know and we've covered on that on this show why that's false before. We talked for instance about a amazing discovery about why the natives of North and South America have shovel-shaped incisors, which is something we've known for hundreds of years. It's been the way archaeologists tell native skeletons from non-native skeletons at least in a cursory examination for a very long time. For a long time there was all these Evo Devo explanations for it. Oh, the food must have been different here. Oh, they needed it because they were killing megafauna and eating blah blah. And then in like 2015 we found out the reason which was actually the same breast gene milk. yeah, that codes for shovel-shaped incisors, codes for a different type of breast milk, and it has nothing to do with the Americas. It was from when the descendants Chocolate of those people milk. were up in Beringia and getting almost no sunlight and allowed them to get vitamin D to their babies. So every single Evo Devo explanation of why shovel-shaped incisors were important to people of the New World was false because it was based on a bad assumption that it must have been the teeth themselves and the teeth aren't a byproduct of something else. This is the same thing. And this is what I want to get into people's heads, because if you listen to somebody like Jordan Peterson, he can be very compelling. He's not saying stupid things on their outset, but if you don't know these complications with topics like this, you might take what he is saying to be great at face value, as opposed to saying, 
Well, look, look at what's happening here. In this one instance, so we know this one gene controls both elements of touch and smell. So let's say we suddenly found a group that had super sensitive touch. Before you knew this genetic basis, this genetic linking, you would have to come up with some stupid Evo Devo explanation of why this happened. This, they needed super touch because they were trying to get mollusks from the bottom of the ocean. It's, you would have to come up with something and it would be fucking wrong. And it would be wrong because the actual selection of pr pressure would have been on the smell advantage that it gives you know, or vice versa, whatever it was. The point of the matter is this is kind of, I don't want to, I don't call it the nail in the coffin. Cause again, it's not that there is no legitimate areas of study in these fields, but it is a cautionary tale to say you are never actually going to know what happened because you can't recreate it. You can't do an experiment. That's one of the problems. One of the non-scientific problems of these fields. Yeah. That's You sound like a Jordan Peterson. Um, you can never be there. Climate is actually everything. <laughs> By the way, I think I've been listening to some Jordan Peterson, who, by the way, is not a serious man and no, should not, not be taken no. seriously. No, like he's he's a he's he's a fucking contrarian. Like his his argument on climate change alone disqualifies him. For, okay, so you yes. just you just like money? How'd you get a professor? Yeah. I really don't know. But but yeah, I, I I've been listening to his voice, and fortunately, because I've always I've always I've always just fucking wrote the guy off as a contrarian. But I've been listening. He actually does have a very mockable voice, so I think. Yeah, I think he might make some uh, some uh, appearances on the show. And the problem is, if you get somebody like Peterson who's out there saying, well, look, the reason that these groups of people have evolved this particular trait is because of X, Y, and Z. And the, the, you got to kind of look at them and be like, man, we don't fucking know that. There are some times where we can be, I don't know, kind of sure, where you could be like, well, why did they develop light-colored skin? Well, it's to get more vitamin D, and that's almost certainly true, but also, people in all of those areas had dark skin up until like 5,000 years ago, and light skin is really, really recent, and so like, your entire explanation would have to, you know, account for that, too. Like, when we're seeing these things, we're seeing complications in what is otherwise very simple and almost always false narratives that are being told, and that is why I wanted to bring these this article up, because I think think this is a very good example of how you could find the exact, I am sure this must be the cause. We know this gene does this thing, so it must be this. And you you might be completely wrong because you might not know that that gene also does something completely separate, which like breast milk and shovel-shaped incisors is the actual selection pressure. The pinnacle of fashion evolution is the bow tie. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Tuckle Carlson are going to go out picking up Babes. <laughs> Thank you, audience, for joining us for Science Faction 603, where you learned all about the largest genetic family tree ever and how what you touch can affect how you smell. Thank you so much for joining us, and come on back next week for Science Faction 604. I don't understand why all of us alpha males aren't accepted by society. I am the pinnacle of masculinity. You've been listening to Science Fiction. Wait, that's not right.